Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Let's invite God to be part of this special time. Let's make that our first priority. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you for the music. Thank you. You are the only one that can truly satisfy the human heart. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would grip our soul in a mighty way tonight. Lord, we pray that you would reach down from heaven and that you would hold us and may we feel the pull of heaven today for our very hearts and minds. God, we just thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and we pray um, just a, a special blessing upon tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Very good. Again, thank you so much for coming out to the Restoration Series. If this is your first night or you've been coming consistently, thank you so much. We are, uh, have been really blessed here at, in Loma Linda. And we know that just a few days remain, just tomorrow night, and then we have Saturday morning and some stuff taking place Sabbath afternoon. Today's message is entitled, Poisoned Lottery Winner. Poisoned Lottery Winner. Well, tonight's presentation, we're going to be exploring some very interesting things. You know, a lot of people have questions for God. A lot of people um, have always desired, if I could appear before God, I would ask Him one question. What question would you ask? If God gave you five minutes with Him and said, ask any question you want, you have one question, what question would you ask? Now, this is something a lot of philosophers actually pondered uh, many times. Bertrand Russell, well-known atheistic philosopher, was really into analytic philo analytical philosophy, was somebody who denied the presence of God, denied that God even existed. When asked the question, what would you do if you were to appear before God one day? What would you say to him? And he said this, God, you didn't give me enough evidence to believe in you. Very interesting, when the Bible says it's not a lack of evidence, it's really the suppression of evidence that's in the human heart. Another individual, Albert Einstein, was asked a question one time, what question would you ask God if you can ask him just one question? He said this, I would ask him how the universe began. And he said the reason why is because the answer to that question will answer the question of why I exist today. I uh, shared another question that Larry King one time wished, was asked if he could interview anybody. He said, I'd interview Jesus. And he said, I would ask him this question, were you virgin born? And he said, the answer to that question will answer all the other questions in life. Lee Strobel, who was an atheist who actually became a Christian, well-known Christian apologist, uh, he said this. He actually um, hired the Barner Group to do um, surveys to find out what kind of questions that people would ask. 17% of the people, which comprised the, the top question, would ask this question, God, why is there suffering and pain in the world today? Very interesting, when you think about the wide spectrum of questions, you can ask God. What question would you ask God if you had five minutes with Him? You see all sorts of, or you would hear all sorts of uh, questions, all different types of answers or responses to this, right? In the Bible, there was one man who had a short encounter with God, and he decided to ask Him some very interesting questions. But before we go to what question he actually asked God, I'm going to share with you a true story right here. This man right here, he's an Indian. It's pretty obvious, right? I like to always uh, discover what's happening to Indians in America. Obviously, you can tell by my sermons. But this man, his name is Yudok Khan. He was somebody that actually won the lottery last year. Very interesting story. This individual, 46 years old, one day he was, uh, when he came into America, he actually uh, was able to get into the dry cleaning business, had a few different dry cleaning businesses. This individual one day walked into a store, bought a lottery ticket, scratched it, and discovered he won $1 million. He was so excited, he actually gave the clerk $100. The clerk actually uh, wrote this in the article that he saw Yurak actually walk right back to his car and he sort of 
jumped in while he was walking into his car. How would you feel if you won one million dollars? Maybe the same, right? And so what happens is, he went home, he told his wife, he was so excited about it, he invited the father-in-law over. Now what was so interesting was what took place. Later on that night, he went, or it was two nights later, he went to his bathroom and he began coughing, and he began convulsing, and he just began to be, feel very sick, and he died in his house. Very sad, just think about this. Somebody just won a million dollars. Things are gonna change. Actually, after taxes, it was only about $500,000. But nonetheless, that's still a large amount of money there, right? So what happens is, he died. Funeral began to take place. Something was not right about the whole thing. His widow was weeping, the family was weeping over this tragic time. The man just won a lot of money, and to have these unfortunate circumstances take place. His brother actually talked to the detectives and says, something's very fishy about the whole thing. So the detectives began a certain special kind of autopsy, and what they discovered was this man had cyanide in his body. Somebody actually poisoned him. Now the mystery is, nobody still knows to this day. This took place last year. As of December of 2013, his estate was divided up. One third went to the widow and two thirds went to the daughter. No one knows who was the one that was actually responsible for poisoning him, but nonetheless, it remains on the record, this man was poisoned. Can you just think about this? I mean, imagine this, just won a million dollars just to have somebody possibly in your family try to kill you. Man. Now, the reason why we're talking about this story is you're going to discover how this is connected to what we're going to, take, what we're going to actually take a good look at to right now. Everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to learn about a very important individual who one day has this encounter with God, and he has time to ask him a question. The Bible talks about this individual. Take your Bible. Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 10. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. That is very fast. I mean, I just said it. All right. If you're there now, say amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10. Take a good look at what the Bible says right here. Now as he was going out on the road, notice this. The scripture just talks about Jesus, and it says he's going down this random road. By the way, does Jesus, does, does, does he do anything randomly, yes or no? Yes or no? Of course not. There's always far-reaching purposes in what he's doing. So apparently he's walking down this road. It doesn't say too much. Prior to this, he was blessing some children. But he's walking down this road when all of a sudden, look what the Bible says next. One came running. In the Gospel of Luke, the, the Bible says it was a young man. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says it was a ruler. Putting that together, there was some young rich ruler. This young person came running. Now the reason why he was running is because there was something urgent on his heart. Someone's running to you. They're either wanting to attack you or they're wanting to ask you a question, right? So this individual was running to Jesus. Then pay attention to the next characteristic. The Bible says that he what? He knelt before him, right? Look at the question that's asked. And asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit what? Eternal life. So far, as far as we can tell about this young man is, he seems like a very respectable person. He seems like somebody who's paying reverence to Jesus. He seems like somebody who has something very urgent on his heart. And he asks a question that can obviously uh, let you know that there are spiritual things on the heart of this man. And somehow Jesus happened to be walking down this road one day where this man, so excited about seeing him, says, I'm going to ask this very wise rabbi, I'm going to ask him a question. And he says this, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Out of all the questions you can ask God, to me, this is probably the most important question you can ask God. What can I do to be saved? How can I be right with you, God? How can I enter into heaven? And the question that's above all the other questions was on the heart of this man, this young person. He wanted to know how he could obtain the greatest gift of all, and that was eternal life. 
And so he asked this very wise teacher, Jesus. He runs to him, very humble, very, uh, you can see, very sincere. And he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? But I also want you to pay attention to the way he asked that question because it betrays something about the man's understanding of who Jesus really was. The Bible says he calls him what? Good what? Teacher. Now it's very interesting. The man believed that Jesus was merely a good teacher. In fact, take a good look at Jesus' response. Go to verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one who is what? God. Did Jesus say, don't call me God? Yes or no? No, he did not. He had just asked the question, wait a minute, why are you calling me good? There is only one that is good, that is who? God. In other words, if you're calling me good, what are you calling me? God. The very first place God needs to begin with this young man, he needs to give him a correct picture of who he really is. And that's the very first thing he sets out to do. He says, wait a minute, why are you calling me good? Don't you know if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. He was trying to correct the man's imaging of who Jesus really was. A lot of people just thought Jesus was a good teacher. Others thought he was a great rabbi. People thought he was the son of God. The disciples themselves wondered, questioned. In the beginning, they thought this was just the Messiah. Then they learned this was the Holy One. Then they learned this was the son of God. And finally, they begin to understand after the resurrection of Christ, years later, that they walk and talk with God himself three and a half years can you imagine the thoughts that would always be rewinding as they would think about those intimate moments that they had with the creator and more and more their understanding begin to unfold and so here this young man he begins to learn a lesson although he doesn't fully understand everything that's taking place so he asked the question, he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, and that is good. Now watch what Jesus says next, because it's very remarkable. You know the what? Commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your what? father and your mother. In fact, when you read the Gospel of Luke, it actually lists five of the last six of the commandments. The one that's lacking in all the Gospel uh, experiences, the last commandment that says, thou shall not covet. What is the difference between this commandment and the other nine commandments? This is the one commandment that pierces through external actions and goes straight into the heart and mind of man. Even Paul says, I would not have known the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. If it was not for the commandment, thou shalt not covet. The last commandment allowed an entrance into the very heart of man. And although this individual was very sincere, seemed like a very humble guy, Jesus understood there was still one commandment that this man was breaking. His heart and his mind was not right before God. Now this has little to do with justification and his standing. What Jesus was trying to help him understand in a very practical way was the way and the life of, king, of, the, of, of the heavenly kingdom, what heavenly life is really all about. And so Jesus says to the man, well, you already, you know, it's the Ten Commandments. And he says, okay, here are the ones. And he begins to list off the last six. Obviously, he didn't feel the need to list off the first four because he understood, hey, this man, he probably had it right. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 22, you'll find out that the people who are outside the kingdom are outside for more violations of the last six commandments than they are for the first four. And so here Jesus begins to talk to him. He begins to lay out to him where this man needs to begin his walk or continue in his walk with God. And it's very interesting how the young man replies. Take a good look at the response of the young man. And he answered and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my what? Youth. The young man believed that ever since he was a young person, he was an okay person. 
He didn't rob any banks. He didn't steal from anybody. He didn't murder anybody. Ever since he was a young person, he was trained to understand this was the dynamics of a spiritual life. In his mind, he was okay. However, if he believed, truly believed that keeping the Ten Commandments was the way to heaven, he would not be asking the original question. Does that make sense, yes or no? Obviously, he knew there was something more than just keeping the commandments. And that's why he asked the original question, how can I inherit eternal life? Because he knew there was still something missing in his heart. Something he could not truly understand and grasp. In fact, even Jesus says this. Then Jesus looking at him and said to him, one thing you what? Lack. Even Jesus knew. Oh yes, I know exactly what it is. I know what you're really, really, really missing. But what is so interesting is what the Bible says right here. Right after the young person says, all these things I've done ever since I was youth, the Bible says something very extraordinary in the Gospel of Mark. It said, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. By the way, did Jesus love him from the very beginning? Are you sure about that? Of course, you better be sure about that. Right? But why then was there other kind of response taking place. In other words, why was it at this moment his heart was flowing out with more love for this person? It was because the young person was wanting more. If you ever want to know what really does the heart of God good, if you really want to know what really makes the heart of God smile, what really just puts happiness in the heart of God is when people want more of him. When they're not satisfied with this world. And sure enough, this young person, he was not satisfied. And he says, wait a minute, I'm already doing these things. And Jesus looking at him, thinking this is the kind of person who would be a wonderful citizen of the kingdom. Then goes on to say, by the way, I know exactly what it is. I know what you are missing. And look what the Bible says next. One thing you lack. One thing was keeping him away from the kingdom. Only one thing. Not nine things, not eight things, not 20 things, just one thing. One thing. One thing. He says, one thing you're lacking. It's only one thing. Can you imagine that? The young man was probably getting very excited. One thing, I can deal with one thing. That's not a problem. And then watch what Jesus says next. One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. Wow. Jesus gives this litany of instructions. He doesn't quite tell him what it is he was lacking. In fact, the Bible simply says, Jesus said, one thing you lack, follow my instructions. Go your way, sell whatever you have, take up your cross, and follow me. Oftentimes when we're praying for answers to questions that we have in our life or about things that are taking place, we're seeking for guidance, we will not get the straight answer that we want. God will oftentimes give us instructions, and the purpose of those instructions are to lead us through a journey where our heart is becoming more submissive to the Spirit of God, so we are in a better state to receive the answer. And so in this situation, he doesn't actually tell him what it is he is missing. He just says, hey, I want you to carry out this instruction and have the young man carry out the instructions. He would have realized what the one thing was that he was truly lacking, that was not satisfying him anymore. Something he was truly missing. He would have discovered what his heart really needed, what was missing from his walk with God. He would have realized what it was had he carried out the instructions of Jesus. Now, whenever God calls somebody, he doesn't always tell them, hey, sell all your treasure. Give up all the things that you own. But in this particular situation, he does. The very things that were hindering the man are things that Jesus was identifying as problems. You know, oftentimes we live in a culture today 
With the second you begin to use certain kinds of phrases or words or comments, you'll hear a response like this, don't you judge me, right? I'm picking on him. But here's the thing. In the Bible, there are two kinds of judgment. Jesus said, judge righteous judgment, and then he says, do not judge a person, lest you be judged first. Biblically speaking, the first kind of judgment simply was differentiating between right and wrong. The second kind of judgment is where you were calling that person's eternal life, whether or not they would be saved. And Jesus was teaching, don't you do that, that is my job. However, we are called to judge righteous judgment. Can you say amen to that? The fact you came here tonight means you judge righteous judgment. The fact you went to a superfusion or Taco Bell on the way here, or wherever else you went, you actually were judgmental. So judgmental. <laughs> Anytime you make a decision where you're choosing one thing over another thing, you are being judgmental. We're now living in a culture where you are not able to say anything about anybody. And we always talk about these concepts about, hey, you just have to love the person. Who defines what love is? Me, society, Hollywood? Or does God define what love is? Here's the thing. Love does look past people's sin to embrace them. Amen? Jesus loved the prostitutes and the tax collectors. However, love hates sin because it destroys the individual. That is something we need to understand, that love actually wants to save from sin. It wants to save the person from sin. And now we have this new concept of what love is, and that is simply not saying anything that might offend them. Here's the thing. If people did not tell me things that might have offended me when I was learning about Christ, I would not be standing here today. Because in my walk with God, I was worshiping Hindu gods, I was going to the Sikh temple, and if somebody didn't say to me, God wants you to worship him solely, I would not be here today. And so in this particular situation, somebody might say, Jesus, you're so judgmental. But the Bible says Jesus loved him. This was the real motivation behind his strong words. Jesus loved him. Love doesn't just let things gloss over. Love really cares. And it's important how you communicate that. Amen? How you communicate is part of truth. Inherent to what truth is, it is very communication. Anything that alters correct communication of truth alters the truth itself. And so Jesus was very specific and very loving in the way he would communicate that truth. Even when he spoke harsh things to the Pharisee, there were tears in his eyes. He loved them. And so in this particular situation, he tells the man that was hitting something at the root of his heart, his idolatry. The man had different kinds of priorities. The priorities in this man's life were the things of the world, and the things of the world were his God. And so Jesus was trying to pinpoint, saying, look, here's the thing. These things that you have in your life, and you place the purpose of your life around, you need to remove these things. Now that's judgmental, but it was coming from a heart of love. Now we're going to start seeing something very interesting. Pay attention to what Jesus says right here. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and, went and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have what? You will have what? Say it again. Treasure where? You, I don't think you heard me. You will have what? Okay, very good. I sound like Vasa, right? You will have treasure in where? Heaven. Now look what he says next. Come, take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus is speaking to him, he says, by the way, I know what you're missing. It's only one thing. Follow my instructions. And he begins to give a clue about what his instructions would lead the person to understand. Everybody keep your finger there. Go all the way to Matthew or backwards towards Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. You're going to see something very extraordinary right here. Matthew chapter 6. That's two books towards the Old Testament. Or one book, excuse me. Matthew chapter 6. He told them, take up your cross, follow me, you will have treasure in heaven. And if you're there, go ahead and say amen. 
Matthew 6, let's start with verse 18. Pay attention to what the scriptures are saying here because this is extremely important. Verse 19, excuse me. Do not lay, for, lay up for yourselves what? Treasures on earth where moth and rust what? Destroy where thieves break in and steal. But look what he says next, verse 20. But lay for yourselves what? Oh, we've heard that phrase before. Let's find out a little bit more. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys. Now watch this. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Now watch verse 21 because it's very key. For where your treasure is, there will be your what? Ladies and gentlemen, what was in the man's treasure that Jesus ultimately wanted? It was his heart. Jesus doesn't care about treasure. He's the king of the universe. He wanted the man's heart. But the man's heart was not available to Jesus. It was in something else. And so what Jesus ultimately wanted and what he was trying to communicate to the man was, one thing you are missing from your walk, it's your heart. His heart was missing from his walk with God. It was elsewhere, somewhere else, in something else. And what Jesus was seeking to do was try to remove those things where his heart was. You know, when people get married, they don't say at the wedding altar, honey, I'm giving you my foot. They don't say things like, honey, I'm giving you my eyebrows, my nose, my mouth. What do they say? Honey, I'm giving you my what? Because what do you do with your heart that you don't do with anything else? You love. You love with your heart. And you see what Jesus wanted from this man was his heart. Because that was the place where the man loved. And Jesus knew that if he had his heart, he had everything else. You know, it's very interesting. When I went to India several years ago, I remember I did a question answer session and there was a young man who said something. He said, I worship Jesus when I'm at the school. However, when I go home, I go to the Hindu temples. Is there anything wrong with that? And he said it in front of the other Hindus and Muslim students. And we had to be very careful with our language because there were anti-proselytizing laws there. The Lord gave me wisdom, profound wisdom for that moment. And so I said to him, I said, when you get older, how many wives are you planning to have? And he thought for a moment, he stared very blank and he said, one? I said, are you sure you don't want two wives or three wives? I mean, hey, they practiced this a long time ago, right? And he's like shaking his head, probably because the other girls were giggling at him. And he said, no, only one wife. And I said, why only one? How about two? And he's like, because I can only give my love to one. And then I took, looked at him and I said, that's your answer right there. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus himself says in the next few verses of Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve God and mammon. Only one can truly have your heart. And God wants no rivals for your heart. He wants your heart more than anything else because he knows if he has your heart, he has the most precious thing that you possess. It's who you are. It's how you love. And Jesus knows if he got that, if he has that part, he's got everything. And he was trying to help this young man understand this. I want your heart above all things. And had the man carried out those instructions, he would have discovered it would have hit him. Wait a minute, what Jesus truly wanted more than anything, he wanted my heart. He wanted my heart. Something that I think is very interesting is what Jesus says at the end of this appeal. Take a good look at that. In calling for his heart. One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give to the poor, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and what? Follow who? 
me. That phrase, follow me, Jesus only said to a certain kind of people. Do you know what kind of people Jesus said? Follow me. You know what he was calling this man to do? He was inviting him to be part of the disciples. See, this was no ordinary just like, hey, I want you to be a follower of God. I want you to be somebody who's going to be a church member. What he was saying to him, he says, I want you to walk with me. He was offering to man the greatest privilege that he could have had to walk and talk with God for three and a half years. He was giving him this privilege. And he was saying, look, I want to bring you in so close. You're going to have a very intimate kind of communion that the others don't have. I want to invite you to be a disciple. Can you imagine the appeal and how that man's heart was probably just rushed over and over again and how the man was sensing the pull of Jesus calling him. Ladies and gentlemen, what God wants, he wants our hearts. And he knows if he truly has our heart above all things, he has everything. And that's where he wants to start with you. Very remarkable, heard one commentator, they put it this way, reflecting Christ, page 260. No outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of what? Self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Every day I've made it a practice when I get up. The first thing that I say in my prayer, I said, Lord, take my heart. That is the best kind of prayer I can give to God because I know if he has my heart, if he has the core of who I am, he has everything. And every day I've made it a prayer for years. Jesus, I want you to have my heart. I want you to have my heart above all things. Because if you have the place in which I love, then you have everything I had, everything I own. You have my life. And I have made that a practice. And I praise God for that experience that I have with God each and every day. And God is calling us into the same kind of experience where we are praying, Lord, take my heart. Here, take it for I can't even give it to you. Keep it because it's yours. And when we have that experience more and more, we're going to realize that our relationship with God is stronger and greater and deeper and more powerful. But it's so remarkable how the man answers. This is how he answers, by a response, through his actions. But he was sad at this what? Word. Then look what the scripture says next. For he had great possessions. This man understood something. That there was no way he was going to continue his current life and really have that relationship with God that Jesus was calling him to have. And he knew because of where he was at in his experience, he was going to have to choose one or the other. And this man, who never appears in Scripture, whose faith seems to be that which what the Bible says, walked away from the greatest treasure he could have had. The Bible says he had many possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, his possessions had him. His possessions owned him. You know, the Bible says that he met him on the road. It was actually Jesus who was showing up on that road to meet him. The man was in the crossroads of his life. He had two destinies that were before him. Jesus cut him off and he said, give me your heart. I see the future. And he's like, you have decisions to make that are going to impact your life permanently. And he was cutting him off and he was pleading with him, give me your heart. And the Bible gives a very sad ending to this. The man walked away and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He really thought it was just about his property. 
He really thought it was just about his toys. Little did he realize what God wanted more than anything was his heart. His heart. In fact, take a good look at what the scripture says next. Go back to Mark chapter 10. The disciples have witnessed the whole event. They're a bit confused by it. In the Jewish religious economy, they believed that those who were wealthy were people who were blessed by God and had favor with God. However, they could not understand how Jesus was turning away or seemingly turn away one who could have been a powerful representative of the kingdom or what they perceived could have been a powerful representative. Take a good look at this. Go all the way to verse 26. Matthew, Mark chapter 10, verse 26. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? If this guy who grew up right seems to be surrounded by favorable experiences, seems to be somebody who is righteous, has it all together, if he himself is rejecting you and he himself is walking away from this great treasure, who can be saved? And watch what Jesus says next. Jesus what? looked at them. He looked right at the eyes of his disciples and he communicated something they needed to understand at that very moment. He said, with men, it is impossible. And then he says, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jesus was helping his disciples to understand that forms and ceremonies and outward religious acts could never earn their way into the kingdom. And he says, you can try doing it this way, but you're going to fail. And he says, with man, this is impossible. And the foundation of every religion outside that of biblical Christianity is trying to say, attain salvation some other way. And so Jesus looks at them and he speaks to the entire world. With man, this is impossible. And it's not because God is standing at the gate and says, hey, you can't be here because I don't want you here. God is saying, look, the dynamics in which you are living your life make it impractical. In fact, the word possible, impossible, is the word practical or impractical to make it to the kingdom. They just will not help you. But watch what Jesus says next. It's very remarkable. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. He says, Lord, we responded to that appeal. We made the decision. We were going to follow you. And watch what Jesus says next because next, it's remarkable. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father and mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Now watch what he says next. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, what is that next phrase right there? Eternal life. Jesus says, hey, those who have left me, they will receive blessings in the life to come, but they will receive blessings in the life that they now live. And God will purpose a life for them, a life so beautiful it will speak to the world about the power of God and it will vindicate God's government and his righteous principles in a world that is fractured. Jesus was letting these men know that they had the gift of eternal life waiting for them because they made the decision that they were going to follow Jesus. They weren't going to be like this young rich ruler who said, wait a minute, I just got too much going on. There's too much happening. My life is so invested in these things. And Jesus was saying, give me your heart. Jesus was offering to the men the kingdom. He was offering to them eternal life, riches. And most of all, a relationship. The Bible says this is eternal life, that we may know him, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The man was asking for eternal life. Jesus was saying, this is what is separating you from me. This is what is standing between you and me. Your worldly possessions have possessed you, the things of the world. Your worldly ambitions have taken the place that should have belonged to me. And now they stand between you and me, between eternal life. 
And Jesus says, remove these things and follow me. He would not allow anything to stand in the way of this man receiving eternal life. And he pointed out exactly what the problem really was. It may seem like for those who have followed Jesus, wait a minute, where is our reward? If you're walking with Christ today, you have the greatest of all treasures, though the world may not recognize it. All of heaven, countless worlds, unfallen worlds recognize that you are royalty with God. Wonderful story. Teddy Roosevelt, when he was landing in America, he had gone to Africa to go do some hunting, kill some wild animals for a few days. His ship came, and as he was coming off the ship, there was all this fanfare, all the balloons, all this cheer. Everyone was excited. Teddy Roosevelt had returned from a hunting trip, and he had people behind him carrying those animals. At the same time, there was another ship. An old lady, an old man. They were coming back from Africa too. They had given their life for the gospel to serve God. They were missionaries. And as they were coming off that ship, they looked over to the left, saw all that fanfare for Teddy Roosevelt, and then looked straight ahead and saw nothing but a dusty dock. And the husband, he turns to his wife and he says something. He says, honey, why is it that this man here who went to Africa for a few days to kill some animals, gets its great celebration for what he has done. And we who have given our lives for the gospel are coming home to nothing. And the wife responded very wisely. And she said these words, it's because we're not home yet. Amen. We're not home yet. We're not home. The time will come where all of heaven will throw the greatest celebration because God's children are, are finally home. Where eternal life will become an actuality, a reality. Where the air of heaven will flow over us as the gates of the new Jerusalem are opened up. But until that time, ladies and gentlemen, we must learn every day to follow the path of our master, Jesus. I never forgot when I became a Christian, I was still trying to understand what was going on. I didn't quite get everything at the time. Things were happening in my life. There was so much circumstances that were confusing. It was a good friend that one day spoke to me in the car that we were in, and he says, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? And I've been learning about Jesus. I've been reading about Jesus. And now providences have brought me to this individual, and here he was, he was asking me, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? Have you ever asked him to be your personal savior? to be your one true love, the God that you love above all things, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Have you ever prayed that prayer? And as he was saying it, I couldn't really believe what I was hearing because what he was asking me to do was to allow God to come in and begin to change everything. And I wasn't sure if I was ready for this kind of commitment. And as I'm hearing him say this to me, I'm thinking to myself, everything is going to change if I allow him in, to truly allow him in and make him my personal savior. And I thought for a moment while we were sitting in that car, and I decided I was going to give my heart to Jesus. And I made that decision that day in that car, in some random parking lot. And we prayed, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal savior. Take that which is mine, 
Take my soul, take my heart, make it yours. And as I was giving that to him, all of a sudden there was this sensation, this feeling, this emotion that something was beginning to take place and something that has forever changed my life. The very thing the man was lacking, all the things that he grew up understanding, he neglected the most essential part, which was his heart. He had never given his heart to God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is calling us again to give him that which he longs to have, and that is your heart. The Bible teaches us this is powerful principle that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when you think about what that is saying, that is telling us that God gave his greatest treasure. And what was in his greatest treasure? God's own heart. God gave up the greatest treasure that he had, and it was his son Jesus. And he gave it up to us. So that we might have eternal life. You know, as an evangelist, oftentimes I come across so many people and I make different kinds of appeals. And sometimes the Spirit of God impresses there is one person who is at the crossroads of their life. And oftentimes it's hard to understand what's going on with that person, you don't know their future. Three years ago, I was doing an evangelistic series. I was preaching, and there was a man, an older gentleman, actually. And he came to every night of the meeting. He would sit off to the left, and he would say amen to everything he heard. He knew that it was truth. And he said, I love this stuff. Then when I called for an appeal to follow after Christ, it was very odd he did not respond. Went to visit him about 20 minutes away of where he lived. Uh, was our church. So I had to drive 20 minutes every time I'd visit him, multiple times. Went with the Bible worker. And I sat down and I talked with him. And I said, what's standing in the way? And he'd always say, well, pastor, I'm just not ready right now. And I would say, okay. I'd peeled him again. I'd visited him again. And I'd, I'd say, what's going on? And finally he shared with me what was the problem. He said that he had been talking to his best friend's wife and they were beginning a relationship together while she was still married. And he was faced between this decision of following Christ and this circumstance that he was in. He was doing something that was obviously not right and yet Jesus was offering a life where he could follow him. And here I was, and I was appealing to that man. Literally, it was like two or three weeks after the series, I'd be coming by day after day just to talk and plead with him. And about three weeks after the series was over, I get this call. It's from his friend. His house burned down with him in it. In the middle of the night, there was an electrical fire burned everything and killed him. And I'm not here to tell you what that man's destiny was or what choices he made in life. All I can simply say is, I hope to God that somehow, some way, that night before he went to sleep, he gave his heart to God again. A year and a half ago, the same incident happened again. This time it was not with an old man, it was with a young man. And he loved what he was hearing. And he knew Jesus was calling him to follow him. He seemed to even possess wonderful talents and gifts that could be useful in the kingdom. And he says, Pastor, I'm just not ready. It's about three or four weeks after the series was over, they found his body in a pool. He was only 17 years old. When Jesus says, hey, tomorrow is promised to no man, he's not just trying to fool everybody into following him. He is giving a reality we need to understand, and that is this. God is in the present tense with us. He's in the here and now. 
He's existing with us. And he's offering to us today the greatest of all treasures that heaven can bestow. He's offering to us himself. And if we will say that prayer, if we will make that our own prayer, our own experience, God, take my heart. I'm giving it to you. I want you to take everything that I am. Take me. Make me wholly thine. We will find a willingness from God. In the next few moments, the Revelation of Hope singers are going to be singing a very special song. And ladies and gentlemen, if you feel God tugging at your heart, and God is saying to you in the crossroads of your experience, of wherever you are at, he is calling you today to give him your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, respond because his providences have opened up a way for you to hear something that you need to hear, just like that young man who happened to see Jesus on the road that day. God is calling us again to give him our heart. And as they're singing this song, if you feel that intense desire and you say, Lord, I need to give you my heart. I need to give you all that I am again. It may be your first time. It may be your <laughs> second or third or fourth. You might have done it. Jesus again is calling you to give him your heart. And if you hear that response and that pull coming from heaven, don't delay. God is calling us and he's inviting us to in, into eternal life. God is offering to us the gift of eternal life. And just like that young man, he met him at the crossroads of his experience in his life. For those who still feel that pulling and tugging, don't wait. If you're hearing this tonight, take it as an appeal from all of heaven, calling out to you, be saved. Be eternally saved. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Just like that young man, Lord, you met on the road, you have met us today. And just like that young man, Father, you are calling us to give you our heart. And so, Lord, with everything that we are, we ask, take our heart right now. Take it, God. And if there's something that is hindering that from taking place, Lord, Right now, we just confess and ask you to remove that for us. God, we pray and ask that you would be our personal Savior, that we would experience each and every day the gift of salvation, and that we would dwell in the atmosphere of heaven. Father in heaven, I pray that every person who has come up may experience that great peace that only heaven can give. May they leave knowing that their sins are washed away. And get, God, I just thank you for them. I know that all of heaven is rejoicing because people have made a decision today to follow you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.